Welcome to Good Things Happen, the podcast series that shows the human side of banking. And in today's case, we'll be talking pretty fast humans. Every business is either being challenged by or enabled with technological innovation. And while some industries experience instant disruption, others are taking more time. It's commonly understood that the automotive industry is unsustainable in its current form and is going to look fundamentally different in future. But change is taking time. Is it the high cost of motoring, the requirements for entirely new infrastructure, technology or behavioural change required from drivers? Today on Good Things Happen, we have two automotive experts who look at the world of motoring from very different perspectives. Dan Fallows has one of the best jobs in the world as technical director of the Aston Martin Formula One team. Joining Dan is Ite McKayley. Ite is director at City Research, covering the automotive sector, and heads the global autopod for City Research. An engineer and a market analyst. Between them, I'm sure they can shine some headlights on the future of cars. As ever, we're going to start with personal stories. Dan, I ask everybody this. I think you might be the first person who says yes, but did you want to be in Formula One when you were a small boy at school? Tell us how you got to work, where you're doing now. Yes, well, I'm happy to answer yes to that question. I think I did from a from an early age have a fascination with with cars, particularly, but also racing cars. I was fortunate enough to live in the UK, where we had um, a Formula One race in Brands Hatch and also in Silverstone. They used to alternate, and I saw some of the the greats of Formula One. Formula One used to be very accessible in terms of you know cost of tickets and access to things like the paddock in you know in those days, and I did have a fascination with that. And then the other thing is that, you know, I was very interested in engineering and particularly in aerodynamics. One, one thing I hadn't really appreciated was that it was possible to, to combine the, the love of aerodynamics and cars. So I thought that originally I would go into aircraft. I think that was the most obvious thing to do. But it, particularly in Formula One, aerodynamics has become a, a very important engineering discipline through the years, ever since the 60s, really. And when I got into university, I realized that you could dovetail those two things together. So it it became a something that I really wanted to do from a, from a fairly early age. But yes, to, in order to say, do I have the best job in the world? I think that's your that's a very good introduction. I would certainly say that. How about you, Ite? Were you uh, were you into cars when you were a little boy, or did you do you want to be an analyst in Wall Street? Yeah, not quite right when I was a boy. Although I did want to be a bus driver when I was five or six years old, so, so some attachment to automotive. Then that kind of thing transferred to wanting to be a, a pilot, uh, but I like numbers, um, and numbers kind of lent themselves well to accounting and finance, um, and then of course getting into uh, investments and stock market, and so eventually, kind of guess those worlds collided. Uh, but I did even going back to to college, sort of want to be in in the business of of stock research, uh, like the idea of creativity, of following industries and companies, and and just talking to um, you know experts, really fascinating people. Uh, to try, you know, kind of predict where industries and and companies will will go, and certainly automotive, uh, particularly in the past, you know, five or ten years, has become extremely interesting in terms of the rate of change. And so, it's an industry where um, you're constantly learning, uh, which is also pretty pretty exciting. Cool. So, Dan, was it this year that you arrived as technical director for Aston Martin? And uh, to tell us about. Uh, how it's been in that role, what that role entails. And we're just about halfway through the season. So I think this podcast is recorded about a month before it's going to be aired. But Aston Martin are doing rather well. You've got a 
top three in the drivers and top three in the constructors uh, league at the moment, just over halfway through the season. Um, tell us, tell us about your arrival at Aston Martin, and uh, it, I'm sure all this success is entirely down to you, is it? <laughs> no, I certainly wouldn't uh, claim responsibility for all of the success. No, there's a, a huge number of people here who contribute to to whether the car goes well or or not. Um, fortunately, we're we're doing a great job this year. I'm very proud of everybody that contributes to it. Um, but yeah, I, I got to Aston Martin just over a year ago. Uh, this is a team that's that's been in, in many in one form or another around for for quite a long time, um, as Jordan originally, and then you know as various as a sort of Midlands and Forsinger and and other, and other names that they've had along the way. Um, it's traditionally been a team that's been relatively small. Um, not necessarily one of the better funded teams in Formula One, but they've always traditionally punched above their weight. So they've always done very well for the for the level of budget they had against some of the bigger teams, which is one of the things that attracted me to it. Um, the, the sort of makeup of the team is a bit different now. We have a huge amount of investment um, from Lawrence Stroll, who's now the, the current owner of it. And he has a, a very clear vision that he wants it to be a championship winning team he wants it to be the one of the big teams and so there's been an enormous amount of investment which is one of the things that really attracted me to it and I've I, I joined just over a year ago now and um, it's been an incredible journey ever since I started I mean the team was already growing in size recruiting a lot of people and uh, you know really expanding into the sort of level or to, to be the sort of size that some of the big teams need to be and uh, and it's but taking it from from where it was and the some of the processes and um, the sort of behaviours that were coming from the smaller team, and you know, bringing my experience of what it's like to you know be at a team that's winning races and to has the potential of winning championships, and and sort of trying to build some of those behaviours and processes and tools and techniques um, into this kind of environment has been a, has been an extraordinary journey. And certainly, you know, the, the things that I thought I would be doing or things that I thought I would be looking to change or, or to influence are, are not really what what I was expecting at all. Well, I think what I saw when I arrived was so different. The, you know, the, the passion, the, you know, the way that the people want to, uh, you know, are, are so driven you know, that is, is exactly the same as, as in any other team, I believe. And, um, you know, the huge amount of quality, depth of, you know, depth of talent in the team that, that was here already um, was 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 fantastic. So it was really nice to be able to come and just bring bring something of of my experience, but really just to see my role as a, as trying to sort of combine the different elements of the team and try to bring in the new elements as well as the old, and and really try and find a, a way of working that uh, that suits everybody and that, that can we can own as a as a team as well. I think that's really important for us that we. You know, we do things in our way. There is there is an Aston Martin process to this, so we don't try and just sort of copy the way that some of the other teams go about go about doing their racing. You know, it's really important for us to do our own thing. And I, and I think you know, yes, it has it has shown a, a success in this year's car. We're in a substantially better place than we were this time last year. Um, but we do view it as a journey. You know, we're not we, although it's absolutely fantastic to be in a much stronger position this season. Um, we we we're looking to win, and that's that's what we want to do. So we see this as a journey. We are we're in a much better place than we were a year or two ago. But uh, we have you know we want to try and get as quickly as we possibly can right to the front of the grid and and stay there, preferably for sort of decades. That would be that would be lovely. 
there seems to be a lot of love for your team as well. For you know, I've read from other drivers, the leading drivers, saying you know, if I can't win, I want Fernando Alonso to win. And uh, the, is that about being a new team on the block? Where does that come from? I think there there has been a lot of love for this team over the years, and it always has been a little bit the underdog, and uh, and also I think you know there's a huge amount of love for Fernando clearly but uh, i think there is you know i think lance's uh, lance stroll our other driver is a is a is a, a tremendous chap as well and he's um there's there's a lot of love for him out there as well and and i think there is a sort of there's a simplicity to this team in many ways there's some simplicity in into the message we put out there you know we are this is a pure racing team you know we're not we're not looking to uh you know to sort of get involved in any politic political games with anybody else we're we're trying to be to be very sort of straight um in the way that we deal with with our other teams and you know our partners and and everything else and we we try to be you know honest and show show our prowess on the track and i think that does come across you know i think um people are kind of we feel that people are rooting for us we feel that there's a there's a kind of new energy about this team that uh people want to sort of get on board with and um you know, there's a huge amount of enthusiasm everywhere you look. You know, whether that's internally or or with the, with the fans that we've we've generated on on the journey. I mean, we are, I think, the fastest growing team in terms of fan base, um, which is and fan, you know, you go to you go to races and you can see that. There's the we saw at some races this year. There's just been a sea of green in the grandstands. It's uh, it's wonderful to be part of, really, and it's great for the people who work here as well because they they really feel like they're part of the journey as well. So exciting. Um, uh, Ite, in my introduction, I was talking about the kind of future of motoring, which I'm sure you're thinking about all the time. And, you know, we have Dan talking about the speed of turnarounds and, you know, in the off seasons, they're re-engineering cars. But um, from the domestic car point of view, obviously, it's a far slower journey. And why do you think that is when you think about change and talk to me about the the changes that you would expect in the domestic motor market and how do you see them unfolding in the coming years or decades sure yeah you know there's a lot of change in, in different uh, aspects and, and a lot of different things have um, triggered it, whether it's uh, cheaper batteries for uh, electric vehicles and, and regulation associated with that, um, compute and uh, you know the, the rise of, of neural networks and AI. Uh, they've really um, brought software in, in, in sometimes unimaginable ways in, into the vehicle in terms of what they can do, automated driving systems that are increasingly becoming more and more autonomous. And so you're seeing this sort of intersection between uh, electrification of, of, of the car, uh, the connectivity of the vehicle uh, that now can, can sort of update uh, software over the air uh, and make the vehicle better uh, throughout its life. Uh, and of course, uh, autonomous uh, driving as well, which is all happening in, in stages. And this is an industry yeah, that tends to move pretty slow. Um, you've got long development times for a vehicle. You know, Once a vehicle is in production, it, it will be in production for several years. And so, yeah, the industry is, is, is moving uh, rapidly to adopt these new technologies. What you'll see is really, really more of electrification, more connectivity, more automated driving uh, systems. Uh, each at, at, at various degree and, and hopefully over time at, at lower costs. Um, and so there's you know a lot of benefits, right? Whether it's emissions, of course, for electric vehicles, but also potentially less uh, operating and maintenance costs. Um, there's potential insurance savings if, as vehicles become safer. Um, so when you think of the vehicle uh, as we've, we've known it, 
it's been uh, it's been inefficient in some ways, right? We we pay a lot to to insure it. Uh, The vehicle itself hasn't really always updated itself uh, throughout its life to make it better, to introduce new features and and services, Um, of course, pollution. And so so all of these issues are kind of intersecting together at the same time. It will take time. Um, uh, Nothing really happens overnight in in an industry like this. Uh, But you're seeing that acceleration uh, almost almost every day and it will happen in, in various stages. Uh, and already, when you see some some vehicles today, you know, and compare them to what we had five, ten years ago, there's already measurable differences in what we're able to buy today versus back then. Um, Dan, you're as I said earlier, we're kind of just about halfway through the season where we're recording this. How do you approach the second half, as it were, or the next race? Are you constantly changing, or is it you know you're doing well to the method that's got you this far? Just keep going. Uh, how does change happen within a season? So we we are essentially racing prototype cars. It's it's very different from you know, as Ito was describing the sort of normal autom- automotive industry. You know, these really are prototypes, and they change race to race. You know they change because we have different circuits that we race at and different types of circuits. They have different requirements um, in terms of the, you know top speed versus cornering speed. That's one of the big things that we change. But also, we are just constantly trying to update the car to make it faster. We have the ability, you know, particularly with our with our sort of new campus facility that we're in at the moment, to be incredibly agile about manufacturing. So we can go from designing a part to having it on the race car in you know an incredibly short space of time. I mean, a matter of days, and that allows us to to sort of have this continual update philosophy of the car through the season, um, which is good in one sense. The, the only thing is that it means the entire thing is absolutely relentless because, you know, we, we can make a car for the start of the season and uh, sadly none of us can just sort of sit back and relax and wait until the end of the season before we make a new one. You know, we build a new car at the start of the season, at the beginning of the year, and then it's our job to see how that's performing, um, address its, you know, weaknesses if it has any, and then even if it doesn't, then uh, look at how quickly we can update it. And it's something, you know, we as a team are constantly evaluating our ability to to add those updates to the car. You know, something we've seen this year where we, you know, we came out particularly strong compared to our competitors. Um, and now through the season, it's it started to get a lot tighter towards the top end of the, the grid now. Um, we are seeing some other of our competitors getting a lot closer. And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a huge challenge for us. And, and it's something we have to react to as a team. You know, and, and I, I always say that there's a big difference to to making a quick car at the start of the season and then how you then develop it through the season. It's a it's in many ways a very different discipline, but you have to be good at both. And as I say, it's part of our journey towards becoming a front running team that we do both of those at the same time. But it is it is absolutely relentless. The one advantage of, of in season development is that you have that continual feedback loop. You know, you have the drivers telling you week after week, particularly if your car's not good, then you'll definitely hear about that. Uh, so we get to hear about that. We get to go through all of the data, and then we can we can sort of get on with trying to fix any issues that there are in short order as possible. Fascinating. Um, so Ite, you, you you said you've got a fascination for numbers. We're not here to mention brand names or you know stock picks or anything like that. But I I would love some insight from you as to what parts of the market you're looking at it must be so widespread i mean for example do you even look at um formula one progress what is it you look at when you come in on a monday morning and throughout the week and you're looking at data to to project forward 
Sure. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a great question. You know, there's so much technology as, as we talked about entering the vehicle and, and you're always trying to assess what the industry is doing and you look for different clues. Um, you know, is a certain technology now being applied in, in a new region um, that may start to accelerate the adoption of that technology in that particular region? Um, it, it, are we seeing signs of, of the cost of the technology coming down is something that typically is currently reserved for the um, sort of premium um, market, more expensive cars now suddenly making its way to, to mass market for the first time. So you try to look for different um, signs of inflection points um, around technology adoption and then run the numbers around it. If, if, if this particular vehicle suddenly is showing uh, or, or particular companies talking about you know technology on, on on this sort of new vehicle. What does that mean for the industry? What does it mean for how we how we've thought about technology uh, adoption? So we we do a lot of um, interesting pattern recognition as as best we can uh, to try to identify the, these trends uh, you know as, as early as as we can. Um, and you know in, in, in the auto industry, you know that b- because um, you know the, the industry develops vehicles years before. Uh, Producing them before we were able to buy them, you can see things kind of coming to, to some extent. So it, it's really exciting um, to, to observe um, you know, newer vehicles, newer designs, newer platforms uh, to see what decisions are being made, and then run the numbers to uh, assess the implications of those decisions. So you're looking at the different end of the telescope from Dan. You're you're seeing into the future and and trying to imagine what trends are happening rather than reacting to the last race and having a couple of weeks turnaround. Exactly. Yeah. We're, yeah. We're, we're trying to kind of assess that. Yeah. From from, from that different angle. Um, and and you know it, it's interesting. It, 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 you do see a lot of different decisions, different approaches. Um, so we get to talk to different uh, companies and and and. Get their assessment of you know philosophy, strategies. You watch those strategies evolve. You know, do they succeed? Do they fail? Do companies pivot? Um, and yes, yeah, so it's really interesting just to kind of see and talk to different uh, players in the industry. All you know, all thinking about the same mega trends um, and how they're approaching strategic decisions uh, around uh, where to take their companies, and 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 just observing and analyzing the differences sometimes that arise and how. Uh, people looking at the same information come to different conclusions and different strategies around around what to do with that information. So you know, it definitely keeps the job really interesting. Dan, you you mentioned at the beginning that uh, Formula One was so much more accessible, um, and it reminds me of it's always my petrol head friends that would go on about Formula One and they'd watch the testing days and they'd want to listen to engines. And now it seems like the world and his wife are into Formula One, uh, it seems to have ex- exploded. Um, it seems like there's more interest now than there ever has been. Uh, um, talk, talk to me why you think that that is. It's, de- it's definitely true that there's a, a huge increase in the interest in Formula One and the, the audience figures. I mean, it's one of the reasons it used to be so accessible is because not many people watched it, really. Yeah, that, I think it's just ex- exploded in popularity over the last few years, Um I mean, I would like to think it's just because it's just generally the best sport there is, but uh, I think there's probably something else going on. I mean, Formula One has very consciously tried to broaden its appeal over the years. It's tried to become more global, more relevant to more people. We we, we actively, as a team, try to sort of encourage diversity, not only in, in our team itself, but also in our fan base as well. And Formula One as a whole has, has really pushed that uh, over the years. 
in many different ways, which I think is is extremely good. Now we are a truly global sport, but there's no doubt in the last few years there you know there's been a Netflix series which uh, has you know exploded the popularity, um, and now we have a situation where we have three races in the in the United States as well, which has made a, an enormous difference to that fan base, um, which is wonderful to see. Um, it you know we we have a record attendance at the Silverstone Grand Prix that we had. Um, Early, just earlier in the year, and that's you know, we've seen that at quite a few racetracks now. Um, and I think one of the things that the the Netflix series did is is really sort of open a different area of Formula One to to the rest of the world. It showed the behind the scenes, but it also showed some of the personalities. I think it's one of the things that we've we've always sort of felt that was missing. Um, I don't think necessarily talking although it's very nice for you to talk to me i don't think necessarily the engineers are the best people to speak to but you know the drivers are incredible personalities and there are some fantastic personalities in the in the formula one paddock um some of them um particularly interesting and uh, flamboyant and perhaps uh, you know a little bit free with their language sometimes but uh, you know we have team principals and, and owners and drivers that are that are incredible personalities and people want to see that they want to have access to that and now i think we've seen that in in other sports as well you know we've seen now series that allowing access to you know to golf and some of the high levels and it just it adds an entirely different dimension to the sport which is you know appeals to a totally different totally different fan base and then when they come into into seeing it from that from that aspect you know maybe they're a you know a Lewis Hamilton fan or, or Fernando Alonso fan and and they they sort of you know see the racing as a as a sideline that's just something they do as a job and then they get into that and realize that it actually is incredibly exciting and we and we grow the fans from that um but uh, yeah, I mean, really, why ever it's happened, it's it's fantastic to see, and um, it does mean that we're you know we're exposed to uh, to, to more criticism when we do badly, and um, you know, greater celebration than when we do well. But I absolutely bring it on. I mean, I think it's uh, it's fantastic for everybody involved. Really, I was interested when you talked about your growing fan base. It, it, you sounded like a football club, actually, uh, and I think of motor racing in the past and formula one in the past it, it seemed to be more down apart from one obvious red brand um but it seemed to be more down national lines uh you know you'd from a brit you would support the british driver or the brazilian would support the brazilian driver but it seems to cross that now it seems like there are different cultures within teams that people are identifying with do you think that's true I do. I do agree. I think people do identify with the drivers. So I think there's there's still a big element of that. I think we we would definitely see an in, increase in the interest in the team as a whole. But uh, in, inevitably, people will see the driver that they they like, whether that's because they're the same nationality or whether they just think they're a good personality or whatever. Then um, they will tend to follow them, and and you see that when they move teams, sometimes they the fan base will follow them. What I think has been interesting recently is the, is this increase in people who just follow us as a team that's a very interesting phenomenon um, and and great to see and and I think it does indicate that we are perhaps getting the message out that we are a bit different and that you know the fans that are supporting us are identify something in in us that um, that they like and uh, you know I think that's been a very clear thing for us is to have an identity you know to have something that we put out to the world and you know all of these things like I mean even talking to you today is which is which is great allows us to be able to to sort of project that image to the world you know we want to we want to have an identity we don't just want to be a sort of anodyne company that doesn't really you know just just happens to put racing cars together it's that's it's really important to us that we have a we have a team identity Ite, are you are you a formula one fan or a racing fan is this something that you've got engaged with 
I don't know if I call myself a, a, a fan. You know, we've done as, as analysts sometimes. Uh, you know, on the racetrack, companies invite us and and go around, and so I've had the experience. Uh, it's pretty wild. It's definitely a lot of fun, um, and so it's definitely an exciting part of the uh, the industry. Um, you know, but as part of of our day to day, it's it's not an area we we track very very closely. But obviously, there's certainly relevance to it as new technologies. Uh, come in and and certainly the the work a lot of companies are doing within that you know is is certainly relevant. So if someone is listening and thinking about hey maybe a, a job as an analyst I'm not just looking at data and screens I'm going out there and uh, living the dream getting in cars as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so you know, yeah. As, as part of what we do, um, certainly we, we get to visit companies. We get, you know, and, and and meet with management teams. We also do test the technologies, uh, and that could be certainly you know the, a, a fun part of the job. You know, particularly you know in the last few years or several years now with uh, electric vehicles and more performance vehicles, uh, it's important, right? Because um, you know demand is still critical uh, to, to drive all this, right? That, you know, you are adding incremental costs, going back to, to, to the numbers discussion in the vehicle. Um, and there's a lot of, of course, societal good that these technologies can can do, uh, but it's a commercial business, it's a competitive business. And and so the the features, the performance um, of, of, a, of an electric vehicle, you know, can still be important to drive demand. The convenience features in automated driving, the safety features, of course, uh, important to drive demand. And so, yeah, you, you know, we, we do get those opportunities um, a, a couple times a year, for sure, uh, to, to go out and actually test and experience the technology. And yeah, and sometimes we, we have been on the racetrack a few times. Um, you know, my, my advice is, you know, don't, don't eat too much before. <laughs> Uh, you know, it, it could definitely be pretty, uh, pretty exciting. Uh, but yeah, we, we, it's certainly part of what we do as well to kind of experience all the technology that, that's coming out. How, how about you, Dan? Are you, are you a, a driving fan or are you always there with your headpiece uh, looking, at the, looking at the technical side from a, as a technical director or do you like to get behind the wheel? I'm definitely a massive petrol head. Fortunately, I'm, I'm on the other side of the fence because I'm absolutely hopeless fast driver so um, i would be it would be ridiculously bad in a in a racing car um it, we do have occasions where we go out as a as a group and you know people go go karting or you know we do sort of driving experiences and things like that and uh, you know i think it's something that unites most of the people that that work in in the business is that we do we do have a sort of interest in in fast cars but i think quite a few of us were sort of frustrated racing drivers but in my case it didn't take very long to find out that that wasn't really a viable career path for me if I ever wanted to make any money out of anything it's a very sort of interesting path to get to that to be a sort of Formula One driver um, they not only have to have talent but they also have to have a lot of luck and uh, you know and a source of finance as well so it's a very tough thing to get into I mean it's difficult to get into the engineering side but it's much much harder to become a driver I think what makes the talent? What do they need? Uh, I mean, it might be an obvious answer that they just need to take risks and be really brave, but I'm sure it's a lot more than that. What would you look for in a driver and what do you admire in a driver? I think modern Formula One drivers have to have a, a huge number of skills. They have to be naturally very talented at driving a car. That obviously helps a huge amount. Um, as I said, they have to have a, a certain amount of luck to get to the the position where they can be spotted and they have to have some good support along the way um they have to be incredibly athletic i mean the the rigors that it puts on the body during a race are, are incredible um so they're all very very fit they're very dedicated to what they do and um, the thing that we really look for that that really makes our drivers stand out um is their ability to sort of analyze the the car and the behavior of the car in a way that we means that we can understand it 
because there's only so much that we can learn from the from the sort of systems and sensors on the car that can tell us about the way it's behaving and how we're going to improve it. But we do rely very heavily on the on the drivers to tell us, you know, which areas of the the, the car are not performing as they should do, or which areas of the circuit are ones that are particularly a problem. So the ones that have that sort of analytical ability are the are the the ones that really stand out. What what absolutely frightens me. I mean, if you ever see the the inside of a car, one of the cameras of the inside of the car while the driver's going round, the, the sort of forces on on them and the shaking and the just the, it's just visceral. The the experience of being in one of those cars, I would imagine. I mean, very, very few people in, in history have ever had the chance to do that. But uh, not only that, but they can be processing other bits of information like race strategy. And, and and one of the things that always gets me is sometimes is when the drivers then say, oh, well, I've, I see that so-and-so had a, a slow pit stop. And they're, they're telling you this while they're going around. And you think, well, how on earth did you know that? And they were watching one of the big screens as they were going around. And you think, well, how? I mean, it just it, it absolutely baffles me that they can have that spare mental capacity while they're, while they're doing that. But... I think once once they've been doing it for long enough, and the ones that that have that ability, they're the ones that really that get towards the the top end of F one. Ite, we've recently seen so many changing technologies in the auto space. Started with hybrid, we've got all electric now, and we're now talking about auto driver capabilities. Could you look into your crystal ball and tell us what changes might you predict in the next ten or twenty years? Sure. Yeah, I think you'll see, of course, a lot more electrification, more more uh, EV uh, electric vehicle adoption around the world. This is not a revelation at this point, uh, but we think you know maybe the most disruptive uh, trend in the next ten plus years, or even sooner, will be uh, autonomous driving. You know, really, uh, of course, there's societal benefits and in, in safety, um, which which is absolutely you know crucial, right? To to use. Uh, sensors, software, mapping uh, to to vastly improve safety from where where we we are today. Um, you, you know, we have this we've had this v- vision of, of of getting to zero emissions, and and we've written uh, a lot in our work that you know the 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 vision to, to go into zero crashes, you know, is, is going to be you know, there as well. Um, there will be a lot of thrust, and already there's a lot of thrust behind that from the industry, from from regulators. Um, and autonomous driving, of course, uses and leverages a lot of that same technology, the sensors, the software, the mapping to enable not only, you know, today's convenience features, you know, the car can sort of keep you in the lane and, you know, with, with hands off, eyes still on, uh, you know, kind of drive in the highway in certain parameters. But but once you get to a full autonomous and in, in sufficient roads, sufficient domains um, where you can begin to um, you know, to get some scale around that, you can introduce new businesses. So so you know think of things like you know you order something at night before you go to bed. The car ghost picks it up and and, and has it in the morning. Think of peer to peer car sharing uh, as well to make the fleet uh, more efficient. And that has implications where you know could the car one day uh, make you money uh, when you're not using it when you're at work, etc. Um, and, and so many other types of, of things like that. If maybe if you want to rent uh, a particular vehicle for the weekend, uh, you can do that, and a vehicle will you know roll up to you or to, to your house uh, autonomously. Maybe at two in the morning when it's the safest to sort of uh, drive from, from wherever the vehicle is coming to your home. And so you can open up a lot of models, new business models that, that create a lot of new uh, industries and features and networks. And so we think the future really will will evolve uh, into the sort of network mobility. Um, where if you're buying a vehicle, you're buying the vehicle, and all the, all the things that you look for today are still going to be important. You know, a vehicle is still an object of, of desire. 
um, but increasingly it becomes you know more of, of a part of a, of a maybe a broader network revolving around uh, autonomous driving uh, as well. Um, and you know, and, and, and you know, the the, the high level math is you know the the cost per mile over time declines, um, and and the revenue per mile of a vehicle goes up. Um, and so th- there's a lot of really interesting things uh, we think happening and will happen around autonomous. Dan, autonomous vehicles must be just your worst nightmare, really. I bet you were someone who uh, used to tinker with engines when you were young, and uh, the thought of uh, not driving them must be crazy. Um, what 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 future do you see in in Formula One? Is it is it going to accelerate even more? The technology is changing, and do you expect more regulation, more um, more diktats from the, the race organisers? How do you imagine that's going to unfold? It's it's very difficult to have a crystal ball about what's going to happen with. With Formula One, I mean, we can see that there are trends in the broader motoring industry, and also about you know the changes in in attitudes towards you know the types of technology that we use in Formula One, and uh, you know and there's a there's a huge you know move towards um, improving the show for everybody, but also to you know to keeping pace with these technologies and remaining relevant. It's obviously it's very important for the for the partners and the people who are involved, the companies that are involved in Formula One, that that happens. Um, but it's also incredibly important to the sport that it that it does stay relevant and that it stays uh, exciting and something that people want to watch. So there, you know, there is a there is a sort of always going to be a tension between those things to some extent. Um, the great thing I think now is that there is a very open dialogue amongst the teams. That wasn't always the case. Um, and that's really the way that we'll get rounded is to is to make sure that we we keep talking about it. There's there's people who invest in, you know huge sums of money and or their careers like like me and my colleagues um, in this in in a, and it's right that we do have a say and it's right that we that we we are heard. Um, and and I think it would be wrong to just sort of follow every single you know, automotive trend in the in the, in the sort of wider industry because you know, that that's not being true to the sport either. So that we have to make sure that. Um, that we are still entertainment, but that uh, you know that we show that we are moving forward with the times as well. I mean, I think yeah, autonomous vehicles maybe that's a step too far. Really, I still I still think there's a gladiatorial aspect to it, isn't there? That you want to see sort of human beings pitted against each other. Um, yeah, I'm not sure I'll be around in the day where where it's uh, robot cars fighting against each other. But uh, you know, I know there's there's maybe an interest for that, but in for for a different reason. Uh, the the sort of unique selling point I think of not only Formula One but other high levels of motorsport is that there's these two two aspects to it. There's the the driver and also the engineering behind it as well. And I think that does what keep people interested. They like to know that there are these sort of clever cars with interesting things going on. Um, underneath them as well as as well as it just being a, a driver thing as well so um long may that continue as far as i can see here here well we've come to the top of our time um thank you so much i've really enjoyed this conversation i've loved looking at it from different lenses it's been a, a joy to meet you both i wish you all the best and thank you again for joining good things happen City Group Inc. and AMF1 are not affiliated and are independent companies. Though City has a sponsorship agreement with AMF1 2023 through 2024, AMF1 speakers' views are their own and may not necessarily reflect the views of City or any of its affiliates. All opinions are subject to change without notice. Neither the information provided nor any opinion expressed constitutes a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. The expressions of opinion are not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results.